Sometime, and when usually if some syndicator is going to be getting institutional financing on a property, then they're going to have to provide loan guarantors with net worth equal to or greater than the loan amount. And it doesn't have to be one person, it can be a collective group of people that the uh, lender is going to be looking to make sure that uh, that management team has sufficient people in it with that kind of liquidity that uh, they could look to in the event that they felt there was something that would trigger some recourse against those borrowers. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Kim Lisa Taylor. She is a syndication attorney who specializes in real estate syndication. She worked on the securities law side of real estate deals. And today we're digging into syndication lessons and knowledge specifically for the passive investors out there who are looking at real estate syndications. We're digging into some red flags, the basics of real estate syndication, stuff to look out for, steps to take, how to get educated about syndications. And make no mistake, passive investors should be educated about how syndications work, how the business model functions, and so much more. A lot of great lessons in this one from Kim Lisa Taylor. And you're going to learn a lot. She has a free book on her website that that she offers. You can also pick up a physical hard copy on Amazon, which we're going to discuss on the show today and go through so much more. She also hosts her own podcast, which I recently appeared on and uh, really honored to have been a guest on her show. Really appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, go check it out and check out her website, syndicationattorneys.com. A lot of great content, free content on there. You can learn a lot from your armor, your weapon as a passive investor. Your biggest one is really your education. Education about how these deals work, what's out there, what the market looks like, and you, so you can make an educated decision before you invest in a deal. Anytime somebody asks me, hey, I want to get started as a passive investor in real estate syndications, what should I do? It really starts with, again, getting educated. Get educated about how the business works, how the securities are structured, the deals that are out there. Get exposure to what's going on in the market so that you have a more solid background to evaluate deals before you start investing in them, to know if they're right for you so much, to know if they're good deals in the first place. There's a lot to this business, even for the passive investors, and your education is going to help you immensely. And there's a lot of free or inexpensive content out there that can help you build a huge base of knowledge to defend yourself, defend your money, and grow your money. Three very important things. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on commercial, multifamily, and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call, and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday right now. Once again, our guest is Kim Lisa Taylor. Without any further ado, here we go. 
Kim, Lisa, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today, for coming back on the show. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and how you help people in the syndication space? Yeah. Hey, Taylor, thank you so much for having me back. I'm happy to be part of your show and be able to contribute to your audience. I'm a corporate securities attorney. I'm the founder of Syndication Attorneys, PLLC. Our website, if you want to know more about us, is at syndicationattorneys.com. All we do are uh, set up offerings for people who are raising money from private investors. So the thing is really to take people who've never done it before and help them figure out how to do it correctly, help them understand the rules that they have to live with, help them understand how to structure their deals with investors, and then help them grow their business as they start out with from their first offering to their 10th or 20th offering. And uh, we've had clients that have gone from you know zero offerings to 26 uh, multifamily property offerings. Uh, we've had other clients that started out buying three to five million dollar deals and within six years are buying 30 to 50 million dollar deals. And so there's you know different things you need to do in your business along the way. So we help with that. We also help investors who are looking to invest in other people's deals. We can offer them some guidance. We, you know, they can hire us to consult and to review the documents and ask the right questions. So, you know, we we really just try to provide kind of a well-rounded service. For anybody in this private placement offering space related to real estate. Awesome. I love it. And uh, a lot of folks out there as passive investors often ask about, hey, where can I find an attorney who can look over these documents, provide some advice and guidance and their, and their thoughts on that? That is, that is one of the services that you provide, which is great. And I'm glad that, uh, glad that you mentioned that. So today I wanted to have a conversation kind of centered around securities or syndication laws, rules, best practices, things to look out for, for the passive investors out there. And I know you've uh, done some writing on this topic. We could dig into you know a few things that passive investors should look out for. Which way would you like to go here? Well, so uh, there's lots of ways that uh, investors <laughs> can educate themselves. Uh, you know, one of them is uh, SEC's website. There's a lot of information on the Securities and Exchange Commission's website related to retail investors. That's what you're called if you're an individual with some cash versus some, you know, private equity or hedge fund or you know some uh, in- institutional bank that's uh, investing in, in stuff like this. So if you're, you know, just ordinary person, you know, you've saved some money or you've you've made some money on other investments, you're looking to kind of diversify, put it into real estate, you're a retail investor in the eyes of the SEC. That's their mission is to protect you. And so there is a lot of information on their website, then I would uh, encourage you to go there and look at that. But in addition to that, uh, we've created some information for People who want to invest in our clients' deals or people who uh, you know just want to invest in anybody's deal. The best thing, uh, I think, is uh, get educated about the syndication process itself. Make sure that you understand what that syndicator is supposed to be doing, because if you do, then you're going to be able to spot the people that aren't doing it. And if you find those people, you want to stay very, very far away from them. Um, I wrote a book called How to Legally Raise Private Money. It's a number one Amazon bestseller. It's, it's got a lot of really great reviews. It's helped a lot of people. But uh, the first chapters are all about 
you know, step-by-step how to syndicate. And so you're thinking that I don't want to be a syndicator. I just want to invest in syndications. <laughs> but if you learn what people are supposed to be doing, you're going to learn about what exemptions they're supposed to be following, what the rules of those exemptions are, what kind of offering documents they should be providing to you, what those documents mean and why they're important for you to read, you know, which ones you should be focusing on, what you should be looking for within those documents. And the last chapter is all about you, the investor. So the last chapter is is written specifically for the investor saying, you know, these are the things you should ask of a syndicator before you decide you want to invest in their deal. And then um, maybe just in case somebody's new to your audience, we should back up a little bit and say, you know, people are might might be saying, what's a syndicator? Right? Good question. <laughs> so, a syndicator is just somebody who's organizing a group uh, for a common purpose. Usually in our context, they're going to be buying some commercial real estate, uh, or maybe they're going to be putting together a pool of money to go, go out and buy multiple single family fix and flips or something like that. And they're going to be sharing the money with investors. So sharing the profits with investors. Usually that syndicator is going to be earning some kind of fees for certain aspects of the work. So there's like different segments. You can earn a fee for this and earn a fee for that. And uh, then, but that's not where they make the bulk of their money. That's kind of like their survival money that, that, you know, keeps gas in their car and, uh, and also, you know, food on the table. Where they earn the bulk of their money is by performing and getting the, uh, the pool of investors, you know, the, the investment funds that they've invested to generate profit that they can split with the investors. So the syndicator then makes money because whatever money they're able to generate for their investors, they're able to keep a piece of that for themselves and uh, offer their investors some kind of a healthy return. Typical returns that uh, we see right now in the marketplace that investors are, are typically, there's two kinds of investors. There's those that want a fixed return, and they're usually looking for someplace between 7 and 10% annually. Okay, so this is not necessarily interest. It could be categorized differently, but it is a return on investment. So that's an annual return on investment. And then there's also investors that are called equity investors. And those are investors who are looking for maybe some kind of a fixed return. We call it a preferred return during the course of time that the uh, syndicator has their money and they have it invested in some income producing properties. So they're sharing some profits with the investors from the income they're generating while they own the property. So they might, uh, the investors might be getting a preferred return. So that's going to be somewhere between six to 9%. 8% is a pretty common number. It's been a pretty common number for decades, but that's just what you get from cash flow. And then eventually there's going to be some exit strategy for that property. If it's a commercial property, very typical that a syndicator would acquire, property, hold it for mm, five to seven years. 10 years is kind of the outside. Most people don't want to leave their money tied up for longer than that. So then they'll sell that property within that time period. And there will have been some uh, gain in uh, the value of the property because of the things the syndicator has done. So if the syndicator is doing their job correctly, they're buying a property, they're improving it, they're increasing rents, they're decreasing expenses. Every time they increase those rents, it has an effect on the overall value of that property, uh, the market value of that property. And then, uh, of course, the market does its own thing, you know, based on whatever 
you know, market conditions are happening, interest rates, you know, things like that. But we're experiencing right now some fluctuating times with respect to that. But those things affect what are called cap rates. So cap rates are really kind of a, a market index of how much that property can sell for. And so it's really part of a formula that takes into account the net operating income and the uh, cap rate that's local to that area. Cap rates uh, for property, commercial properties could range anywhere from you know, 2% if you're trying to buy something in Miami uh, up to you know 10% if you're trying to buy something in a, in a really depressed area. But most of them are going to be in the 4 to 7% range. Then that's all part of a formula that's going to help derive what the, the true market value of that property is. So those cap rates fluctuate over time. The net operating incre- income should be increasing over time if the syndicator is doing the things that they plan to do for the property and it's producing the results that they had hoped for, then all of that's going to generate that equity at the end, which is the difference between what they owe on the loan they got to buy the property in the first place and what they owe investors and what's left for profit after all of that. You know, so a very simplified uh, you know, explanation of that, but, uh, but it all comes into play. So then that equity is shared amongst investors, split usually between the uh, investors in the management class and added to what the investors already received from the cash flow. And that gets you to sue to an annualized return. Um, the annualized returns that most investors are looking for at this time seem to be in the mid to high teens. Um, that, that seems to be the sweet spot uh, that will get people to invest if they're, if they're looking for that equity investment. Great. Okay. So just to, uh, been, been asked to add anytime potential returns come up, add a disclaimer. We're not talking about any given deal. You're just mentioning yeah. the average market returns that you're seeing these days in this types of deals, but we're not talking about any one thing in particular, just, uh, general terms, just to, uh, make sure we've added that, uh, disclaimer on there because I've been asked to make sure I do so. Yeah. And then we've been the responsible attorneys for, uh, actually, I have for hundreds and hundreds of securities offerings. I, I think I lost count around 400. <laughs> um, so, you know, we see a lot of what's going on in the marketplace. We see what sells, we see what doesn't sell. You know, our clients will try something and it's like, well, that's probably, you know, there's, a, there's always this distinction between what's legal and what's marketable. Right. So you could, you could ask, you could tell investors you're going to offer them 2% returns, but nobody would invest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's legal, but nobody's going to invest in it. So you've got to kind of get into what the market uh, is expecting. And so that's where, where we talk about, you know, what we see right now are a lot of 70-30 splits between, you know, profit between investors uh, get 70% of the profit, um, management gets 30%. And um, then the investors overall are looking for returns in the mid to high teens. When I first started doing this back in 2008, we were doing a lot of 60-40 splits, wow. but the deals have changed. Deals have changed. And we may see another shift again, you know, as, as uh, time goes by, as the uh, cap rates, uh, you know, compress a little bit more, interest rates rise, then we may have to go to an 80-20 world, you know, so it, it, it's just a, depends on the times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's so much in there. One thing in particular that that I want to hit on and kind of dig into is you mentioned uh, sponsors charge fees, which is normal. It should just keep the lights on, keep everybody fed, but it shouldn't be really how they make their money. But 
there's a difference between should and what people are out there trying to sell, at least some people. And comes to mind, or, or that brings to mind a, a recent bigger pockets thread that I'm not going to dig into here that I saw where somebody's asking about a syndication deal one of his buddies presented to him. And to me, it was it was clear based on from my experienced eyes looking at these deals that the fees were incredibly onerous and the sponsor intended basically just to soak the investors on mm-hmm. their fees. But but that's a judgment you know that I've built up over time by doing these deals. And I want to dig into what you think is reasonable from a fee perspective. How can passive investors tell if the sponsor intends to make their return on the fees rather than just keep the lights on with the fees? You know. Yeah. So there's kind of some norms. I, again, this is back to you know what's legal and what's marketable. So legally, you could charge you know 100 fees. Of course, nobody's going to give you their money because right. they're not going to make any money, right? But uh, you can't. You have to charge fees that are within kind of the industry norm and the industry standard. There is an article. So there's a lot of articles on our website. I would encourage people to uh, visit syndicationattorneys.com, go into the library and select the articles. There's over 50 different articles in there. Um, they're all one or two pages, all written in plain English. Uh, but there's one in there that calls, it's called 12 Ways Syndicators Make Money. And uh, so it kind of goes through the list, the laundry list of fees, but typical fees could be an acquisition fee. It's usually going to be based on somewhere between 1% to 5% of the purchase price of the property if they're buying an existing property. Three is pretty much normal. If you get into you know really high dollar properties, those numbers are going to go down. So maybe one or two percent. If you get into very small properties, then it could be higher than for the four or five percent. And that's really just the compensation for the syndicator for all the work they've had to do to get this deal to the closing table. And that means not just this deal, but all the other you know deals that they looked at that they didn't do because they weren't viable. So there's an acquisition fee, usually there's uh, asset management fees, and that's usually going to be based on gross collected income from the property. And so that incentivizes the syndicator to, to maximize that income. You know, they're not going to, they're going to pay a smaller amount if they have a lot of vacancies. If they get all those vacancies filled, then they're going to be paid a higher amount, similar to what a property manager would get. So the asset manager is the syndicator and their management group who is overseeing the property on behalf of investors and then reporting back to the investors what's happening on the property and then collecting the the funds from the property and then making uh, periodic distributions. So the asset management fee is different than a property management fee. So property manager is usually going to be an independent company that's hired by the syndicate to actually run the property day to day if it's a, a commercial property. So to very typical multifamily, you know, you might have on-site staff or you might have a property management company that's dedicated that has two to 12 people that are just running that property on a day-to-day basis. And they're the ones that are dealing with tenants and you know, late rents and evictions. And uh, we, you know, the term of art in the industry is tenants, toilets, and trash, right? They're the ones dealing with that. The asset manager is really the liaison between the property manager and the investors, uh, just conveying information and making sure that the property manager is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So uh, there's uh, finance fees. So you could get a finance fee for helping to guarantee a loan. Sometime, well, usually if some syndicator is going to be getting institutional financing on a property, 
then they're going to have to provide loan guarantors with net worth equal to or greater than the loan amount. And it doesn't have to be one person. It can be a collective group of people that the uh, lender is going to be looking to make sure that uh, that management team has sufficient people in it with that kind of liquidity that uh, they could look to in the event that they felt there was something that would trigger some recourse against those borrowers. So, uh, so a loan guarantor fee, that could be 1% to 2% of the loan amount split up amongst all the people that are guaranteeing the loan. It could be built into the acquisition fee. But if there was a refinance down the, lo- the road, you could have a refinance fee that's based on the loan amount. I've seen loan guarantor fees could be uh, just a flat. So this is a way actually for passive investors to boost their returns. If you have high net worth, you're interested in investing in the deal, but you also would be willing to contribute your net worth to helping to guarantee that loan, then you could get an additional fee or some additional management level earnings for that syndicate. So, So that's something for people to think about. So that does um, that does also increase a, an investor's risk profile, though, because normally a benefit of a being a limited partner is your risk is limited to your investment and it's going to go to zero, but it's not going to go negative because that's not your exposure. But when you're guaranteeing the loan, okay, now you're on the hook for the loan. So I guess what are your thoughts about adding that additional risk exposure? Is it usually worth it for passive investors? What do you think? I know some people have gotten very wealthy just being loan guarantors. Um, so some people have made a business out of that. Um, you know, they'll get 20% of the management earnings, uh, just for putting their net worth on the line. Now, uh, when you're getting a loan, when a syndicator is getting a loan on a property, there's two types of loans. There's a recourse loan that requires a personal guarantee. So that would be the most risky position for a loan guarantor. That means that if the property fails and the lender lose money, then you're going to have to make up that deficiency out of your own pocket. And then there's non-recourse loans. So non-recourse loans generally are looking for the property to produce the income to to pay off the debt. Um, And they aren't going to look to the loan guarantors unless certain carve-out things have happened. So when when the lender creates the loan documents, they're going to say, all right, this round loan is non-recourse unless some of these things happen. And then they're going to have a list of things. Uh, unfortunately, in the last few years, we've seen that list of carve-outs growing. It used to be, you know, one or two things. Now it's several pages of things. So <laughs> you want to look carefully at that to make sure that those are the risks that you want to take on. But the, the very typical risks are called bad boy risks, uh, which is, uh, you know, you're letting the the, the management team is letting the property be run as a meth lab or, you know, a drug haven or something like that. They're, they're allowing illegal things to happen knowingly, and it ultimately causes the property to fail, to lose money, to blow up, whatever, whatever happens that the lender loses money on the deal. Then they're going to look to you or somebody's stealing money, you know, and they're not paying the loan payments or something like that. Then they're going to hold the management responsible for that. There's also environmental indemnifications. That one I don't think is so bad as what it used to be because before you're even going to be able to buy that property, the lender is going to require that the syndicator do an environmental site assessment and they're going to make their decision right there. And I used to actually be an environmental consultant. 
the environmental rules say that you're not responsible if you conducted due diligence and it turns out that the contamination that's under your site belonged to somebody else and you didn't have any way of knowing about it. If you didn't do the due diligence and you bought the property, then you're you're on the hook for it because you should have you should have investigated it. So that's usually mitigated by having an environmental site assessment and making sure that you understand whether there's an environmental risks there or not, and then determining whether or not you want to take on those risks. Okay. Now, so, so those are the most common ones, but, uh, you know, there are a few others that are starting to pop in. So you just got to read. If you're going to be a loan guarantor, you need to read the loan agreement that's provided by the lender. So there's going to be a promissory note and a loan agreement and a whole slew of other documents. But the one you want to really pay attention to is the loan agreement and make sure you understand what those carve-outs are and whether or not you want to take those risks. Um, other fees that the management could earn, uh, they could earn a uh, disposition fee. So, you know, every time they get a new a new buyer or a new loan, the syndicator has to do a huge amount of work to package the property and gather all the financial statements and, uh, you know, convey all the information needed to the buyer or the refinance lender in order to finance that loan. So it does require a lot of extra time on their behalf to do that, but it usually leaves the investors in a much better position because usually if there's a refinance, then the investors are going to get uh, some or all of their money back, their original investment back, but then they may stay, still stay in the deal and continue to get returns. So it's it's to their benefit that this stuff gets done. So it's not unusual that they would pay uh, an additional fee to the uh, management team to to make sure that that happens and that gets done. Okay. So those are some typical ones. But do read the article uh, on the 12 ways uh, to make money as a syndicator so you can see what kind of typical fees are out there. Yeah, I think getting educated as a passive investor is as important as it is for the active investors out there doing deals because there are bad deals out there that passive investors need to be on the lookout for. Now, before we move to the last part of the show, I just wanted to ask, are there any, you, you talk with passive investors specifically, you provide that as a, a consulting service. Are there any <laughs> common mistakes, misconceptions, or anything along those lines that you come across that maybe we haven't covered so far, I just want to make sure that I kind of give you that open-ended question in case I'm not thinking of a, the right question to ask, you know? Well, you know, the the SEC has a saying, and I just saw it again on something I published, that uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, uh, <laughs> you true. know? So if you, you know, now have kind of had a little bit of education on what the norm is, and all of a sudden you see somebody out there that's offering 50% returns, uh, you know, annualized returns, you might be a little skeptical of that. It would behoove you to actually learn how to analyze deals for yourself. Uh, you know, and, and again, this is why I say read the book, because once you read the book, um, you're going to have a good understanding of what they have to do to be able to comply with securities laws and how these deals are typically structured. So you're going to be able to spot things that are unusual or out of the norm. Uh, if you're reading a set of offering documents and you don't understand them, you may just want to walk away from that deal because uh, there are attorneys out there, unfortunately, that will write offering documents that nobody can understand except for them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, other attorneys struggle to record, to, to understand what they're trying to say. And, and uh, I, I, you know, it's my belief that some of them do that intentionally so that, uh, you know, it's continued work for them to interpret every little thing that comes up. And then, uh, you know, so you've got to be careful of making sure that you understand 
the um, you know the documents and and uh, there's there's something you know so we talked about the fees but the other section that's super important is the distribution section and so this is where it talks about how the profits are going to be split and there's usually like this order and we call it a waterfall so it starts with we've got this much cash we want to get rid of and it's going to the first 100 percent of it's going to go here and then whatever's left is going to go there and, and you just keep going down until there's no more cash left so make sure that you understand that waterfall if that waterfall is so complex that you don't understand it you know that might be a red flag you might want to shy away from it, that deal and look for deals that have more simplified waterfalls that you do understand. You know, it's, uh, what's, what's unfortunate is it, the more complicated the uh, waterfall, sometimes the syndicator doesn't understand it either and then they don't comply with it. But you should always uh, be, you know, running a Google search, individuals that are in that management team, making sure that none of them are bad actors or have been in trouble with the you know, securities regulators or, or, you know, multiple lawsuits or things like that. You know, you want to stay away from litigious people. You want to stay away from people that have bad reputations. You know, unfortunately, there are bad actors out there and uh, some of them haven't been caught yet. There was one person just recently caught who had been out there doing it for 10 years and, um, you know, finally... They did something about it, but I think it was 10 years too late and you know, probably stole $15 million from people before they stopped it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. And one yeah. thing I, I frequently tell passive investors or people who want to be passive investors is to resist the feeling of FOMO, the feeling of missing out. When you see, if you see, you've seen one deal, probably don't invest in it. Just get an idea, look at it, evaluate it, but get access to a lot more stuff evaluate a lot more deals, read a lot more things before you dive in. Because even if it's a good deal, the first one that you see, until you've seen a lot, you've built your knowledge base, you don't really know if it's a good deal. You don't have that knowledge base to to evaluate. So I think being patient and getting a good distribution of what's out there can really help quite a bit just to, to see what's going on in the business. Well, I go to conferences all the time. We sponsor uh, real estate conferences where, you know, there's a lot of trainers, real estate trainers out there. Some people call them gurus that are out training people how to buy. A lot of them training people how to buy multifamily. You might want to follow some of them. Uh, you might want to go to some of their conferences. For one, uh, it's a way for you to get educated. It's a way for you to see the kind of people that are doing these deals and whether or not you even want to be part of it. But it's also a way for you to meet people that are doing these deals so you can have choices. You, know, you don't just know this one guy that's doing it. You know you know, 20 guys that are doing it. So now you can be on their list and you can look at all their deals. There are some crowdfunding platforms out there that are uh, that, that put deals out. And you may or may not want to invest through some of the crowdfunding platforms. But, you know, the best way is to get to know people. And, you know, most uh, what I tell my clients is, you know, most of the time people are investing in you first and the deal second. Right. They want to they want to know, like and trust you. They want to understand your background, your track record, your experience. And uh, then they'll make the decision of, OK, does this sound like a reasonable deal? And, and, you know, what I like to be part of it. Nice. Nice. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. 
Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right. I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before you've answered those questions. I've got three new ones for you. Are you ready to go? Ready. Great. First one, what is your favorite book, whether for business or personal enjoyment reasons? So uh, my favorite book for business is the one-page marketing plan. Actually, I'm becoming a one-page marketing plan certified instructor because I'm teaching my clients how to create a a one-page marketing plan to go out and find uh, their group of investors and cultivate a group of investors that will invest with them in deal after deal. So that that's a book that's been good for me. I'm also using uh, the same organization as a coaching program for my law firm. They have some really great information. So I really like this gr- this group uh, and they have top-notch education and the book is top-notch. So one-page marketing plan, more geared towards their indicators. If you're an investor, maybe it's not as relevant to you, but uh, maybe you want to create your own one-page investing plan, right? Nice. So yeah, we do have entrepreneurs and business owners out there who listen, and I think that may be relevant to them. So we had your favorite book. Now we move on to the second question. What is an indispensable tool, system, piece of technology, or something else in your business that you just can't do without? Well, I would say the first one is Dropbox. Uh, we've been using Dropbox. Uh, we're a virtual law firm, and we have been since 2008. So uh, we have staff all over the country. We all have to have a way to collaborate and to share docs in a central location that everybody can access. Uh, Dropbox has worked famously for us for all the years that we've been in business. Um, But the second one for us has been Asana and it's project management software. So that's the way that we're able to keep track of each client and where we are in the production stage with each client, what's going on with their stuff and keep their things moving through our staff, because a lot of time, and it's not one person that works on stuff, it's well, one person works on something and passes it on to somebody else and, and so forth until it gets down the road and then the client ultimately gets their final docs. So Asana has been a really great tool for us also. Great. Cool. So third question, where is a place that you're a, maybe a conference or a vacation or something that you're excited to travel to in 2023? So planning a trip to Europe in spring of 2023, I live a little bit of a vagabond lifestyle uh, (laughs) because we practice under federal law. We're able to help clients in any state. And uh, we have, um, I have an office in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, and I also have one in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and uh, and a little small mini office in Yuma, Arizona. So my, my goal is always to live where other people vacation. Um, because we have this virtual practice, I'm able to do that. So, so we do a lot of travel, but, uh, our, but our big, big next trip is going to be going to, uh, to Europe. Very cool. Awesome. Love traveling to Europe. It's always a lot of fun. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun having this conversation. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to find your book or articles or anything like that, where can they track you down? So they should go to syndicationattorneys.com. And uh, if you have want to have a free consult, you can schedule a consult there. There's there's a button to click. Uh, you can also download my book if you want the digital copy. You can get it free 
uh, there's a there's a tab that's called a free book. Um, or if you want to buy it on Amazon, you can get to it from the website or you can go directly and buy it on Amazon. Nice. So much free or even inexpensive content out there like your book. And, you know, folks would kind of be a little silly not to take advantage of it. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.